Thank you, Pastor. And I invite you to give your attention to God's word as found in the gospel according to Luke as we make our way back there to continue along in our series. By the way, you're still going to be in it next week, too. And uh, when Greg Poland preaches, he's going to skip a few chapters and be further on. So not only will the doctor have good news, the doctor who is preaching will have good news. So you'll hear from two physicians next week, both beloved. But we are in chapter six of Luke, and we will pick up reading with verse 40, where we left off. We made it through verse 39 last time we were here, and we will go through the end of the chapter to verse 49. Lord willing, hear the word of God. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not do what I tell you. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So may the Lord bless this reading of his word to our understanding, and may his name evermore be praised. Amen. Our Christian faith and the scriptures themselves teach things, and we therefore believe things that are absolutely contrary to the world's thinking. For example, we believe that God created the heavens and the earth, that everything we see didn't simply come about by happenstance or by chance. We don't believe that something came from nothing, and yet the world believes that we essentially are the accidental product of an accidental beginning. We also believe that people are created in the image of God, male and female, regardless of our age, We have been created in God's image and that God has given us responsibility over the creation to be in dominion over the creation. That is absolutely anathema to the world's way of thinking. They want us to believe that we're simply a part of the creation and you basically are of no more value than an ant or a cockroach being part of the animal kingdom. Also, we believe that people are basically sinful, born sinners, and yet with a potential to be redeemed in Christ Jesus. The world would have us to believe that people are basically good. Now, to counteract that, one would have to wonder why everybody that I know of carries these. Think about it. If people are basically good, why do we have those? And yet, that's what people are being told in classrooms and through basic media Throughout the world. And yet David said, in sin did my mother conceive me. He's not talking about his mother engaging in a sinful act. He's talking about at conception, I was a sinner. 
And the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's absolutely contrary to the world's way of thinking. At best, the world would say you're born sort of neutral. As Rousseau would say, a tabula rosa, a blank slate. Jesus comes along and teaches and instructs here as he is on the plain in Luke. Now, in Matthew, he will teach many of these same things in the Sermon on the Mount. But at a different time and a different location, he summarizes much of the teaching of his ministry. And we, having considered what precedes this text, come today to this, to understand that people, people act according to their nature. No good tree bears bad fruit, and bad trees don't bear good fruit. If you've got an orange tree in your yard, as much as you might like for it to bear lemons, it probably is not going to do that. If you have an apple tree, you might wish that it would bear peaches, but that's probably not going to happen either. Or more to the point, if you have a tree that doesn't bear fruit at all, and that's not in its nature, you're wishing that it would bear fruit will not make it so. Trees bear according to whatever particular species they are. And people also act according to their nature. And because we are born sinners, we can expect that people will demonstrate that sin nature through behavior and through words, through actions, or through lack of actions. So Jesus here teaches a very simple lesson, but it has very profound implications. As he is instructing his disciples, knowing that they will be going out into the world and teaching his word, they need to know what they're getting themselves into, and they also need to come to grips with who they really are. Who are you? Otherwise, apart from the grace of God, each tree is known by its fruit. That's why we call things, for example, an apple tree or a peach tree or a lemon tree or an orange tree. And so it begs the question, how are you known? What kind of fruit are you bearing? As we see this analogy played out in Scripture, like trees and plants, people produce fruit according to their true spiritual nature. It is a fact. The Lord Jesus says in John, actually, chapter 15. I'm sorry about the typo there. Chapter 15, verses 4 through 5. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This profound truth states for us a very important spiritual reality. That when we believe in the Lord Jesus, when we repent and trust in him, our whole nature is transformed. We are brought into relationship with him. We are brought into union with him like a branch that's in a grapevine. Now, I grew up with grapevines. How many of the rest of you did I mean, the rest of you could walk out in the yard at your grandparents' house or somewhere and pick some grapes off in the fall of the year and eat those things. I absolutely love them. I love grapes, especially those good, juicy, purple grapes. Slip them out of the skin and get them in there. Just swallow seed and all. Man, that thing, those things are good. And we had different grapes. You know, they were the big, they call them blue, but they sure look purple to me. Concord grapes. And there were white grapes. And there was one that we called Grandpa Winchester's Little Wine Grape. Now, Grandpa, in my growing up years, was my grandfather's grandfather, who was born in 1850. And 
and he was known for growing a lot of things. He had bees, for example. He had 70 hives of bees, but he also had grapes. And you know, if you had that particular vine and you took a clipping from his vine and grafted it into our vine, which my grandfather did, you would have those little sweet wine grapes, as we call them. And I love them. But you couldn't graft that vine in to the main grapevine and expect it to produce apples. It would produce the grapes according to its nature. Why is this important? Because it goes a long way toward helping us understand the world around us. A long way toward helping us to understand ourselves. And the need for us to have a transformed nature. Not to continue the way that we are born naturally which is born a sinner at enmity with God, but to be born again into the kingdom of God. Words which have fallen on hard times, even in churches, there is a, there there is a, I say churches, I'm using the word loosely. There is kind of looking askance at the phrase born again. Oh, you're one of those, as a pastor said to me one time, as if there could be any other kind. Jesus said, no one will enter the kingdom of heaven unless he is born again. That's what Jesus said. And it's a universal statement. No one. And theologically, we refer to that as regeneration. The work that the Holy Spirit alone can do wherein our nature is transformed. We literally are raised from the place of being spiritually dead, as Paul speaks of it in Ephesians, being raised to life. And thus, giving life and power from the Holy Spirit enabled to trust in the Lord Jesus. We could not trust in him apart from this life-giving work of the Holy Spirit that absolutely transforms us, makes us into new creatures, as Jesus says. So our nature has changed, and thus we're able to produce what we otherwise could not, fruit, because we abide in the Lord Jesus. Did you get the last part of those verses? I might have gotten the reference wrong, but these words are absolutely correct. For apart from me, the Lord Jesus, you can do nothing. We cannot produce fruit that is pleasing to the Lord apart from this right relationship with Christ. Otherwise, we're like thorn bushes. However much we might want to produce grapes, it's not happening. And it's not that we would wish to produce them. We all act according to our nature. You know, dogs act according to their nature. Sometimes we get aggravated with our dog, Ginger. Remember, that's our dog's name. So when Kathy's gone and I speak about Ginger, it's our dog, remember? (laughs) Y'all give me a hard time about things, so I'm just going to go with it. She comes in the kitchen. She sniffs on the floor. She's looking for the least little crumb to pick up. Now, it's not like we fail to feed her. We pay a lot to get this special prescription dog food. I don't want to think how much money we spent through the years buying this special dog food for our dog, Ginger. And yet she goes to the kitchen floor looking for crumbs and things to pick up. And she looks for worse things than that out in the yard. She's lived with us now for almost 14 years. She is still a dog and she acts according to her nature. We do, too. Apart from the Lord Jesus, we act according to our nature in a way that is not pleasing to God. We naturally are not inclined toward him. But 
having been objects of his grace, wherein we are born again unto a living hope, we have a new nature and we bear fruit. The evidence of our Christian faith, Jesus said, is found in the fruit that we bear. By their fruits, you shall know them, he said. And so we have to be discerning, don't we? Because we have people paraded before us in every form of media imaginable, people who claim to be Christians, people who even claim to be born again. But it's not by the profession of faith that we know them. It is by their fruits. And so we look discerningly, not judgmentally, but with discernment. God gives that to us in this new spiritual condition. Use it. But use it most of all as you look in the mirror. It's easy after all, isn't it, to judge the people in the TV screen or our neighbors around us. But what about ourselves? So Jesus gives us much here. Yes, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart, that that reservoir that's there. You know what a reservoir is, don't you? You know, you think of things that hold water. You think of things that hold any number of things. I remember being um, at Myrtle Beach one time, and we made a trip up to Calabash. That's where you get that good Calabash shrimp that they fry up there, have for you. And there was a place in the back of this particular store where there was a hive of honeybees. And you could see the honeybees coming in through the glass. Have you seen those before? They're coming back in after gathering all of that, that nectar, that pollen that they gather and they come in there and they deposit it and lord only knows how bees are able to produce honey we can't reproduce it ourselves but man i could see in there all of that honey in those hives and i love honey especially when you put it with peanut butter is it lunchtime yet so much so that when i was a little fella in sunday school when our teacher would talk about a land flowing with milk and honey, in my mind I was thinking a good cold glass of milk and a peanut butter and honey sandwich. That's what the people of Israel had. That reservoir of honey was there. What reservoir are you producing from? When that reservoir overflows into your speech, what's coming out? What indication are you giving that there is a new nature? Our words and the way we talk especially reveal our true spiritual nature. That treasure, be it evil or good, is our nature. An evil one produces evil. Either way, out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. You know why people speak with foul language and why people are dishonest with their speech and why people are derisive and all manner of other things? Because we're tongue-tied. Our tongues are tied to our hearts. And as we speak, we're revealing what's on the inside. And, you know, you can fool some of the people some of the time. But God himself is never fooled by us because he looks directly to the heart. Yes, we see that in verse 45. We think of Psalm 5, verse 9, for there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Wow, that's not very flattering, is it? The fact that we are described in this way as being flatterers. James 1, 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. You see how this matters? It's not our speech that gets us into trouble. It's our speech that reveals we're in trouble because it reveals what's inside of us. 
So Jesus gives us an apt description. And then he goes into talking about, of course, house construction. Now, he begins with a question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Think about that. We say we are believers in the Lord Jesus and yet are not interested in what he says or what he teaches. Do you realize what a contradiction that is? You know what an oxymoron is, don't you? It's two things that contradict each other, like sharp, dull. Or as somebody told me one time, like military intelligence. But I apologize to the people who have served in the military. Just kidding. But we know there are such things as oxymorons, things that contradict each other. Think about this. No, Lord. God gives us instruction in his word. We read it, we hear it, and yet in defiance, our natural sin nature says no. The believer in repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus says, yes, Lord. I think about this often because I remember struggling so mightily when I was in high school. I remember beginning to get a sense that the Lord wanted me to be a gospel minister. And I can remember distinctly me thinking, I don't want to be a gospel minister. There were other things that I wanted to do. And it was like waves coming in from the ocean, crashing on the shore. You know how they they come in and then they sort of recede. And I would get a sense of that call like a wave coming in. But then it would sort of recede. And so I said, well, I'll just get more active in church and I'll start doing more church things and maybe that will satisfy things. And so I became more active in church and the more active I became, the less satisfied I was. I had this continual ongoing and the waves started coming in closer and closer succession until it was like a constant wave that overwhelmed me. And I can remember the point where I, in surrender, said, Lord, I'll... I'll be what you want me to be. That was a hard thing for me. But how can I do otherwise? As I considered the Lord Jesus and what he had done for me on Calvary's cross and suffered the very pains of hell, what right did I have to say to him, no? I still think there are a million other people more qualified than I am for this office. But I can't say no to the Lord. Not for any length of time or consistently. He knows well enough I've I've said it and I still have my struggles. But the power of the Holy Spirit at work in me in this new nature means that I must say yes, Lord, inevitably, sooner or later. And yet how many profess to know him and yet refuse to follow his teaching? Everyone who comes to me, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I'll show you what he's like. And then he gives us this imagery that's very simple in its description so that we can understand it. Dig a good foundation. Build a house on the rock. You've got a good foundation, a building on a solid foundation. It's going to endure. So that even when the rain comes and causes the little rivulets of streams that run together and come together and form creeks and rivers, that when those flooded tributaries assail that structure because it's on the rock, It will withstand the onslaught. But those who don't listen, those who otherwise hear 
You know, remember, there's a distinction between hearing and listening. You know, sound waves travel, and you might be hearing someone's voice, but that doesn't mean you're really paying attention to them. Like I used to do in American government class in 11th grade. Remember, I could look at Miss Queen and nod my head, and my mind was already on what I was going to do that afternoon. I was thinking about how many cornrows we were going to plow when I got to Papaw's, and I was thinking about whether I was going to go horse riding to the head of Plot Creek or not. But she'd look at me, and I would nod. <laughs> You've got that skill, too. Don't you judge me. <laughs> Somebody just nodded. <laughs> just because the mechanics of sound waves being transmitted to our eardrums and the sounds reverberating so that our brain is, is hearing, it doesn't mean that we're listening and heeding. It's not just a matter of hearing what Jesus says. It's a matter of heeding. It's a matter of submitting. It's a matter of saying, yes, Lord, and acknowledging that he is the Lord. So those whose lives that will endure are those who trust in the Lord Jesus and act on his instructions. Those two things go together. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. That hymn has sort of fallen on hard times these days. But it still rings true. Think of Deuteronomy chapter 30 verses 19 to 20. I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day. As Moses says to the children of Israel when they are on the verge of entering the promised land. He says that I have set before you life and death. Blessing and curse. Therefore... Choose life, that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Understand that when the Lord Jesus speaks of his teaching, he's not merely talking about the corpus of instruction that we have in the New Testament. He is the second person in the Trinity who has been God forever and always. He is the one giving instruction to Moses in Deuteronomy just as surely as the Father is giving the instruction. There's no dichotomy between what God says in the Old Testament and the New Testament. All of Scripture is God's word. So when Jesus talks about his instruction, it's not just what he physically spoke as an incarnate deity dwelling as a man on earth. It encompasses everything that he has instructed throughout Scripture. Remember, he said on the Sermon on the Mount, I did not come to remove so much as a jot or a tittle from the law, but I came to fulfill it. His instruction still stands. And so we are to learn from him and follow that instruction. Otherwise, the house won't stand. Recently went to the meeting of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes Organization for Southwest Florida Dabo Sweeney was there. Now, I'm not trying to advocate for Clemson, so this is not about football. He's talking about a professing Christian who was talking to us, and, uh, you know, Dabo was telling us about how he talks to his players, and one of the things that he tells them is that they need to be careful about the house they're building because all of us are engaged in house construction. You don't have to be a contractor. In the course of living our lives, we are continually building the house that we're living in. So it's not a matter of whether we're doing it. It's a matter of what kind of house are we building. And I ask you that. When you're through constructing the home that you're working on right now, what kind of house is it going to be? Will it, will it endure? 
Will your life endure on the judgment day? Will you be found to be a follower of the Lord Jesus? Will that house withstand the onslaught of the judgment by his grace? Or are you just building to satisfy your wants and desires in this life? A house that ultimately won't stand. Same Grandpa Winchester, born in 1850, my grandfather's grandfather. In 1894, I was told, he built a house on the head of Plot Creek and on the given day loaded up his wife and ten children and crossed the mountain. And when they got to the place, they found that the house, because of a severe windstorm, had been blown completely off of the foundation. They weren't able to stay in it. They had to quickly build a lean-to and put stuff in there out of the weather and that's where they had to spend the night and in the days following they had to work and work to get that house raised and back on the foundation it wasn't useful to them until it was sitting level on something firm what's your house built on it's not a matter of whether storms are going to come and I don't need to tell people living in southwest Florida about that do I you know, I think about the names I've heard about since I've moved here. Names like Andrew, Irma, Ian. Not people, but storms. We know it's not a matter of if. We know that storms are coming. And what's true in terms of meteorology is true in terms of theology. Storms come. Judgment day is coming. What kind of house are you living in? And so Jesus does not mince words. And his instructions here are meant to be heeded. He taught because we needed instruction. Jesus came preaching and teaching because we needed that preaching and teaching. And it's been preserved for us in the Bible because we continue to need it. It's not as if the people in the first century were, they had all the need for the instruction, but now we've got it all down pat. We continue to need to be under the instruction and the teaching of the Lord Jesus. Even though we may have known him, for 90 years, still, to learn that we might build our house by his grace on that rock that is him. Edward Mote. Anybody ever meet him? Probably not. He was born in 1797. <laughs> to very poor and ungodly parents in London by his own testimony. He lived in a home that was so godless. That as a young boy walking the streets of London, as they oversaw the public house that he grew up in, he said, my Sundays were spent in the streets. So ignorant was I that I did not know that there even was a God. He further states that the school he attended did not even allow a Bible to be seen. Gideon's wouldn't have been welcome on the campus there. Not only were Bibles not allowed to be seen, much less were they taught. Scriptures were not taught at his school. He didn't have any inclination about who God was. But he went to work for a man to learn woodcrafting, cabinet making. And when Moat was 16, that gentleman took him to a service where an esteemed minister of the gospel preached God's word. And he was transformed. Edward Moat surrendered his life. He repented. He trusted in the Lord Jesus and he became more than a cabinet maker. He became a member of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and of the visible church on earth. At the age of 55, 
He realized his lifelong dream. He had been instrumental in the little community that he was living in, that they were able to construct a church, a Baptist church, but it was a Bible-preaching, teaching church. And the church members, out of gratitude to him, offered to give him the deed to the building and property. He said, I do not want the chapel. I only want the pulpit. And when I cease to preach Christ, then turn me out of that. Such was the spirit of this man. And so he preached there until his health no longer would allow him. He said simply, the truths I have been preaching, I am now living upon, and they do very well to die upon. And a year after he had to give up preaching from the pulpit, he entered the presence of the Lord. The little church buried him in its yard and placed an inscription on his marker. In loving memory of Mr. Edward Mote, who fell asleep in Jesus, November 13, 1874, aged 77 years, for 26 years, the beloved pastor of this church, preaching Christ and him crucified, as all the sinner can need and all the saint desire. He wrote some 100 hymns, but perhaps the one we remember the most. He said simply, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Do you hear me, Christian? There is the rock, and there is everything else. There is Jesus, and there is everything else. Trust him, yield your life to him, and continually learn from him. It's not a one and done. No, no. It's not a matter of giving indication of a decision at some given time in life. It's a matter of a lifetime of surrender and of listening and of saying, Yes, Lord, and following him. That's the house that stands. And that will be a revelation to the world of your true nature as you bear fruit. May God bless us all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you for the truths of Scripture and for the Lord Jesus Christ who is the truth, even as he is the way and the life. Bless us, Lord, that we may yield our lives to follow the Savior, that we may joyfully and gladly look to the one who came with words of life and through whom always has ministered words of life. For we know that it wasn't just the people of Israel in the day of Moses who had the opportunity to choose life this day, but every day throughout the world that opportunity stands before a needful humanity. Oh, Father, grant us grace that all within the sound of my voice may be among those who say yes to the Lord Jesus, turning from the world and its ways, looking to the rock that is higher than we are, who is the shelter in the time of storm, who is the foundation upon which the whole building is built, that chief cornerstone. Yes, a stumbling block to many, but a source of life to us. Bless us, dear Father, that we may believe in our hearts all that we profess and gladly proclaim Jesus Christ is Lord. We pray in his name. Amen.
Well, how can we sing anything else? Let's stand up and do it. Let's follow it wrong. be thankful I only said one more. I could go for like 12 more. I love that hymn. May the Lord bless you as you go to that end. May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord lift up unto you his countenance and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. And everyone said together, Amen.